This is the Cater Daily Podcast for Saturday, January 11th, 2020. I'm Caleb Brown. The third-party doctrine is a creation of courts. It's a notion that you have no privacy interest in information you give to others. So how much longer can it last in a world where our thoughts and transactions can almost immediately be transmitted all over the world? And what can states do to mitigate the privacy harms? Billy Easley is a senior policy analyst at Americans for Prosperity. We spoke last month in Phoenix. How long do you think the the third-party doctrine is going to remain? We've had multiple Supreme Court justices, uh, specifically Sotomayor and Gorsuch, uh, be pretty skeptical of of that view. I don't think it can remain in the 21st century for much longer. I hate to make bets, but I'm going to make a bet. I, I think once we get to... I would be surprised if we get into 2030, 2040 with the third party doctrine being the same as it is now. Now, I, I want to be clear about this. I think um, the court has not explicitly rolled back the doctrine, but they're clearly needling at it and trying to figure out how do we have a Fourth Amendment that adequately protects people and uh, respects their privacy rights in a 21st century um, sort of framework. Um, and personally, I don't know how you can have the third party doctrine and respect all of those frameworks and respect people's privacy. I don't think it works. Okay. So at the state level, uh, police have, it's kind of the wild west when it comes to a lot of new technology that can be used to surveil people, to gather information about them, uh, to get their information without a warrant. Uh, so. I guess, how do you evaluate that landscape right now? Um, I think the landscape is not great for civil liberties at all on the state level. And I think the reason why is because um, most states, honestly, most law enforcement is perfectly happy with the status quo, which allows them to gain as much data as necessary through um, Stingray devices that can attach to cell site location, um, satell- uh, not satellites, but um, um no, satellites, I'll, I'll go with that word. Um, and honestly, I kind of feel like there have been a lot of legis- state legislatures that haven't been really invested in changing this. And that's the reason why um, I'm happy that Utah and other states are slowly waking up to the idea that the status quo can't work um, and that um, it allows way too much information to go into the hands of law enforcement that shouldn't be there. So uh, contrast Utah with California. If you're in Utah, if you're talking about we're talking about data privacy yeah. here, um, if you're in Utah and you decided to upload um, a few documents to your Google Drive, right, or to your Dropbox um, and the police decide that they want to access that data, um, they have to get a warrant. They have to go to a judge. They have to say, hey, listen, we have probable cause, reasonable belief that there's something here that pertains to a crime and we need this information. And the judge will look at the data. I mean, we'll look at the information and make a decision about that. If you're in California, you don't have those protections. What will basically happen is a law enforcement agency can say, we are going to access the data on your OneDrive or your Google Drive or whatever, because you don't have a, a privacy expectation anymore. Once you gave that information to Google or to any third party, once you uploaded it to um, your your Apple um, cloud, um, you made a conscious decision that it was no longer your property. Um, 
And that's crazy, right? That's not how people tend to think about their data. They tend to look at it and say, well, of course I need to, if I'm going to send an email, it has to go through through Google, right? Um, most people don't, you know, print out something and put it in a safe anymore, right? If they want it to be secure, they put it in a cloud computing uh, device or service. Um, so I think it's important for multiple states. And I actually think it's really, really strange that... Um, a lot of states that I would consider to be pretty good on privacy issues haven't specifically looked at this issue and said, we need to have a narrow and specific um, prohibition on this sort of um, easy access to data from law enforcement. Um, there have been states that have said, you know, maybe we need to do a constitutional amendment on this topic. New Hampshire, for instance, has one that says, listen, if you, uh, that basically has a broad um, privacy um, interest put into their constitution. Um, and not to go too far afield here, but I actually think that's problematic because what it does is it creates a privacy interest without specifically noting what it pertains to. And it leaves it to judges and your judiciary to determine that. So you have to hope for some very good case law to happen if, if you want it to apply. Um, and there's a very good chance that that might not happen. So I think it's best for legislatures to sort of act on this topic um, on their own. They're they're the ones who I think are best situated to do it. All right. So uh, how much sway do police organizations have uh, with respect to trying to draft this kind of uh, legislation? And are there protections for civil liberties that police basically can live with? Um. Law enforcement has to be at the table when we have these discussions. Um, I actually think it's important that they are. Um, that doesn't mean that we should. Sell. I mean, they can raise a lot of yeah. perfectly reasonable, practical objections yeah. to uh, certain uh, privacy protections. Well, let me tell you what what I heard when this bill was being debated in Utah. Um, I was actually surprised that law enforcement didn't raise more of a fit than they did. Um, and our state director Heather Williamson, who did Yaman's work on this, uh, along with uh, Connor Boyer from the Libertas Institute. Um, she told me that, were they happy with it? No, right? They would prefer to have as much information as, as they can get. Um, but they were happy that we were willing to bring them to the table. And once we made it clear that, hey, listen, you can still get this data, you just need to have a reason for it, right? And we inc uh, included um, the sorts of exceptions that are standard and in uh, warrant cases, right? Uh, exigent circumstances. You know, if if we know that someone's going to die in three hours and we need this information, then yeah, okay, maybe you're not going to get a warrant right now, but we're going to ask you in 72 hours, right, to show what pony up and show us what information you need. Um, and I think once law enforcement recognized that, all right, we're we're really taking a framework that exists in other contexts and merely grafting it on to protecting data, I think that's something that they understood. If it was a new animal com completely, I think they would have completely opposed it. So they can apply the new rules to the existing framework and say, uh, I understand broadly what is meant by X, Y, and Z here. Yeah, look, um, I, I, think, I think cops understand what a warrant is. I think they understand that process, right? Um, sometimes they don't follow it how they should, but I think it's a, an issue that law enforcement can look at and say like, all right, you know, 
I would rather get all the info I can receive that's possible. But if you're telling me I need to get a warrant, I know how to do that. And I think that's the sort of like comfortable messaging point that we can make to, to if not, you know, make them avid supporters, at least tone down the sense that, oh, this is a going dark kind of conversation where we're not going to be able to get anything anymore. Okay. So states going forward, uh, what, what are, do, you, do you view as the biggest threats right now of uh, authorities that uh, state governments, state police agencies or local police agencies seem to sort of have free reign with where states simply have not spoken uh, to limit the the powers of police to gather information without warrants, without uh, proper process. So I think there are two uh, specific situations. Number one, I think it is a sort of, I think Utah House Bill 57, the, the law that we're talking about right now in regards to like data privacy, um, protecting people's um, emails and stored electronic information. I think that's number one. But another issue that I want to raise um, that I think a lot of states haven't really talked about is like biometric information. Um, we've seen this in China and Hong Kong specifically, where basically people who are walking through a train station have their biometric, and by biometric, I mean like their facial um, their features. Uh, their yeah. features. They're, they're actually, biometric data means way more than just facial features. Uh, if you look at some legislation I've seen, um, their walking gait, um, their retina scans, their fingerprints, right? There are other more oppressive governments that are just saying, you know what, they don't have a Fourth Amendment. They're just going to suck all that data in. And right now, um, there's no prohibition on the types of biometric data that state or federal government agencies can obtain and how they can use that data. Um, if we believe that there's a privacy privacy or property interest in our emails, then I think it's very clear that we should have a property interest in um, our facial features, the things that we have are immutable characteristics. So are you when you say property interest, you sound like Neil Gorsuch. Because that's that's sort of what uh, he in an attempt to sort of thread the needle on this uh, this issue of of privacy, he's trying to at least uh, open the door to thinking about these things as as a property matter rather than as a a, a Fourth Amendment matter. And I I think that's I think that's probably right. Um, and I would even note here that actually. Uh, if you look at, um, there's a Supreme Court case in 2014, Riley versus California, um, before Gorsuch was on the court. Um, Alito wrote a concurring opinion um, where he basically said, look, I, I agree with the court's decision, which was to basically say that the law enforcement couldn't obtain uh, an individual's uh, data within, a, um, within their cell phone without a warrant, right? He said, look, I, I agree with this opinion. I think there's a property interest here. But people should not run to the courts, to the Fourth Amendment, to do this, right? Um, what, should, what should happen is state and federal legislatures should look at this problem and determine what's the sort of property that needs to have heightened protections in the 21st century, right? Because the legislature is going to be most capable of determining that. And I think, I think Alito had it right, honestly. We can't depend on state or federal courts to read the Fourth Amendment in the way that adequately protects us, we need to convince the public and we need to convince the legislatures to do that. Um, that's a long-winded way of saying, I think Gorsuch is right. <laughs> 
Billy Easley is a senior policy analyst at Americans for Prosperity. We spoke last month in Phoenix. Subscribe to the Cato Daily Podcast wherever you please and follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast.